Is that right? Do I want to keep working when I'm 75? Yes, I do. Well, but I guess I do, might change, your but... thing, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, there's, there'll be work to do. Yeah, and more, I think the way that our world is, our work will keep getting more and more important as the environment starts to collapse and as our social fabric changes, as it, I feel, inevitably will. Mm. Well, and must. inevitably is, and must, absolutely yeah. must. Then our job becomes really important to help help people navigate what they think and what they feel and how to act mm. how to how to give action <laughs> to their feelings mm-hmm. yeah how to how to give tangibility to the feelings in the first place and then how yeah. to think about how to act within within post truth <laughs> <laughs> oh what a what a sentiment huh yeah post truth <laughs> um <laughs> Do you remember for the tape what you just said about superannuation? Uh, I guess well, I think we were talking about there's so many different ways to live. Uh, yeah. And my friend Sean Humtree, being a, first a circus performer and then moving to Nepal and building a house and raising an adopted son and teaching English and permaculture. And that, that you said there's so many different ways to live. And that I think is such a important thing to remember and especially important thing for me to remember when I think about my superannuation and I worry about that (laughs) but then I think I don't need to stop working because my work is my joy Mm. and even though pay depending on what you do comes and goes and yeah I think you you said that you have you're not left wanting now and I I feel the same way that Mm. I'm not left wanting and you said that uh, we're conditioned to fear mm. n- not having enough in the future. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But I guess we don't know what the future holds. We don't no. know at all. No. I'm reading a book by Rebecca Solnit at the moment called mm-hmm. Hope in the Darkness. It's such a great book. It's such a great book. And she's so amazing. She, uh, gave, she let people download it for free when Trump uh, was announced as the, um, as the winner. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it totally is like a dart competition or something. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a popularity contest, right? Yeah, uh, on that day, in that moment, would, of yeah. the people who could get out of work exactly. to go and vote. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody told me, this is a bit of a tangent, somebody <laughs> told me that about why, they, why it is yes. on a Tuesday. Do you know that? Why no. their voting is on a Tuesday? No. Is our voting on a Tuesday? No, no. Americans okay. is. Because when people went, didn't really live in cities and they were farmers and um. they, were, they worked out in, in communities that were far away mm. um, and didn't commute every day like mm. people do, and sun, Sunday would be your rest day, and Monday would have to be a travel day to yeah, the right. polls. Right. So you'd travel to the polls and then you would vote on the Tuesday and then you would travel back home. So it was a huge deal to go and vote. And then to counter that as well, in India, they they value voting so much that they, they want to make sure that 100% of their population votes. And the... Uh, I'm going to mess his title up. The Commissioner for um, 
let's just say the commissioner for voting. <laughs> um, he even has set up that there that it, that that it is that people only have there's a certain amount of square meter meterage mm-hmm. of polls to people. So they make sure that you can it's it's totally accessible to everybody. Um, and they even have this uh, this setup where they um, there's one monk that lives out very, 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 very far away, like days and days journey. And they send the commission sends out a polling booth and polling officials out to his wow. so one person can vote and so, um so detractors are like well that don't you think that's a waste of money and a waste of resources and he says no it's not because he deserves his vote his vote has to be counted and they even still do the same thing where they put the red dye on his fingerprint so he can't vote again <laughs> like they follow protocol right. but isn't that lovely like the idea that everybody's vote counts, everybody's opinion counts. Mm. I love it. But yeah, Rebecca Solnit, <laughs> Hope in the Darkness. She wrote it when George Bush was elected. Ah. Um, and it's uh, it's all about how, how um, we never know what is coming next. And that's why we have to remain hopeful. We have to keep fighting. We have to keep... Um, we have to keep going because we don't know what the one thing that we do is that precipitates revolution. Um, and there's a story in it that I love where um, there was these, uh, there was a particular, um, it was a mother's group that was protesting uh, and they would protest, they protested in the rain one day and she interviewed one of the women who were protesting and she said she felt so stupid and she felt so, um, so alone and so little and meaningless that she, they were out there in the pouring rain. Um, there were six of them in the pouring rain protesting and um, only one or two people walked past anyway. And then one of those one or two people was a was one of the um, congressmen who walked past and thought if they are that committed that they are out there in the rain no one watching I should rethink what they're talking about and so while that day was her worst day and her most doubtful day for him and for he went on and and fought and became one of the hugest proponents of um, I think they were fighting for uh, um, abortion rights or something like that. I can't, rem- I, I can't remember <laughs> what the issue was, but the, it was the point of it is, her worst day was his day, his first day of of, mm. of reconsidering, and she and her five friends, <laughs> despite not knowing the difference that they were making, made a massive difference. Mm. And that's something to hold on to, I think. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, sounds like making a show. It does. Yeah. Yeah. That that, that no one's asking for. <laughs> <laughs> that no one wants to fund. <laughs> <laughs> that no one wants to fund and no one wants to come and see. <laughs> but I felt like that with... Um, so one of the shows I did last year was Selkie. And it was about um, it's a, a myth. It was based on a on a myth 
of the Selkie where, um, do you know them? Do you know that? I've term? seen the animation. Oh, uh, yeah, the, 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 yep, I know the one you're talking about. The, yeah. the Booker Kells? Say, they say yes. it's the Booker Kells yes. one. Uh, just before the Booker Kells. What was yeah. That? I can't remember, it was Song of the Sea or Songs something like that. Songs of the Sea. Yeah, I haven't seen yeah, that one yet. I've watched it a few times. So that's what I... Everyone recommends it, I should watch it. <laughs> I should goddamn get around to watching it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the idea of it is that uh, a woman... Uh, the, so the Selkies are mythical creatures that come... that live as seals in the ocean and they can take off their seal skin mm. and live as humans on the beach and if you steal their seal skin when they're in human form they're trapped in human form and so there's all these stories about um uh fishermen seeing these beautiful women dancing naked on the beach and taking their seal skins and trapping them and making them be their wives and raising children with them and even if they do fall in love and have a nice life together if they find their seal skin or if their children gives them their seal skin then they must return home mm. to the ocean and when i was a kid i read it and i was like that's so romantic it's so sad that she left her children it's so sad that you know she left her husband but you know, she's home again now but then when i read it again as an adult it's so clear that it's such a metaphor for being being trapped in a relationship that's not right. It's a metaphor for emotional abuse. It's or physical abuse or an exoticization of of different cultures and that whole uh, like trapped trapped tra being trapped in mm. a re in a place and in a relationship that's not right. Construct. That's yeah. Not yours. Yeah, and being forced being forced to enter into that. Um, and so the play that I did was very much a modern, modern take on that. So it was, uh, it was still the same myth, but um, a modern reimagining of it. So modern language, modern, modern scenery, modern um, dialogue, um, as if it was today. And I wanted to really dig into the complication of like why it is hard to leave an abusive relationship, and why it is, why people come back, why why uh, it, it can seem like it's not an abusive relationship from the outside, but it really is on the inside. Mm -hmm. And um, afterwards, uh, a lady came up to me and she said, I have just got out of an abusive relationship and so much of this, um, so much of this felt like it was my story. And so, my, and it really, and the ending of it, where she does leave and she does get her skin back, and she she fights for it and she gets out, and it's like a. Uh, she said that ending really helped me process my own my own relationship with my own. Uh, the, the things that happened to me, and it just turned into such an amazing conversation with her about uh about what what it means to what it means to leave mm. and i feel like even if nothing else ever happens with that work that is enough for me like that that one conversation that i know that that it helped that that one woman 
is enough. But I know it, it's I know it's touched other people. Like I saw my, uh, like a family friend, has a very um, very fifties ideas of what relationships should be like and what gender dynamics should be like in a relationship. And he came and saw it. And the conversations I had with him afterwards, I can see the difference that it has made in his relationship. Mm. Like I can see that he is, he's rethought why he acts the way he acts and why he expects these things from his wife. Yeah, so it's, and if I didn't know him, I wouldn't know that that had made an impact. Mm. Yeah. So we never know. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> the moral of the story, we never know. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, but how do we decide what we're going to spend our life doing? I guess it's things we're drawn to, things we think yeah. is we're compelled to talk about. Mm. Like for me, I felt like general society was starting to have a conversation about domestic violence. And I think at the moment it's a quite a narrow conversation about physical violence yeah. and that it happens to a certain type of person and a certain type of relationship at a certain age yeah as well and i i know many of my friends have had these kind of relationships where they feel trapped they're not necessarily getting physically abused mm. but there's definite emotional manipulation going on there's definite emotion emotional abuse and it's it's happening to you know well-educated left-leaning socially active people who because it's so small and it's so it can it can seem so small and so insidious and it it, it makes you question your sanity and it question your own your own actions and your own role to play in in that relationship it's it's difficult what do you do Finn what do I do yeah what do you mean what do I do <laughs> like with all of these thoughts about what we need to work on and through and talk about then what do you do do you I guess if we were talking before about an artist's role is to work out what something is and how we feel about it and then how to act about it. Mm. I wonder how you act. Or like what is your mm. what are your actions through the world and through the day and at your job and It's a very ambiguous question because I don't want to prescribe the answer. I'm trying to think of um, all the different all the different things that I do. I guess I read somewhere that you should live as if your cause has won. Ooh. Live as if your your crusade is winning. And how, imagine what your life would be like, imagine what society would be like, and start to live that way. I guess it comes down to be the change. 
<laughs> really? Like, yeah, Gandhi already had it down. Yeah, but exactly. I think I think that's a really that's a really amorphous way of putting it, you mm. know. Like, and I think that's become a cliche, you know. But to reframe it as yeah. what that means, yeah, it, I could keep fighting. I could <laughs> absolutely, keep fighting. I could keep fighting to so it becomes that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in your day to day. In your, yeah, in your day-to-day. Mm. So my version of Be The Change is to... Uh, reflect, to reconsider, and to be... Uh, aware, maybe a cliche word, maybe sensitive. Mm. Maybe like championing sensitivity. Yeah. Rather than it being a weakness, it being a strength in the Absolutely. way that uh, a Morse code operator has to be sensitive to rhythms and tones mm. so that they can speak that language and understand the interaction. Being sensitive to um, what is trying to be communicated in an interaction or how a a particular built environment makes me feel so that if I wanted to curate an environment for a performance, mm. then I know what to emulate and what to mm. disregard mm. and how how it makes me feel to drive for an hour so that I know that when I meet my friend after they've been driving for an hour, mm. I can meet them where they're at. Yeah. Um, and then I just do that in terms of crafting choreography or in terms of um, having a conversation or in terms of how to ask the, the most uh, useful question mm. or, or, mm. or the most um, empathetically worded question or something or yeah I have a lot of questions about the world but I feel like most of the information is there and it keeps getting thrown at you all the time but what I need to work out is not where to get the information from, but how to listen to the information that's coming to me. Mm. And so that's my version of how to be the change is to be more, to be better attuned. To mm. so being sensitive and then considerate with what you do with the information that you gain. Yeah. Being open, being open and reflective and reflecting in the sense of what you reflect back. Yes, that's very much, and, and holding a standard as well, mm. that um, there are things that I don't want to perpetuate, yes. that I can absorb, yes. I don't need to send them back out into yeah. the world. And that all comes with like from luck and privilege and education and mm. good fortune in my life as well. Um, but I wonder what your version of that is. <laughs> um, I guess it, I guess kind of similar. That I I think about I think about what's important uh, to me, and I think about yeah. I, I guess it's about it's about trying to yeah be sensitive to how 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 I am moving through the world and what people and places are are bringing and what I bring mm. 
yeah, like what what you're doing and what that is doing to you mm, mm. and to the people around you. Mm. Mm. I think one of the things I value most in the world is consideration and how to use that consideration to be kind and generous. So easy to be <laughs> closed. <laughs> yeah, well it seems it seems safer, but actually the I've thought this about uh, panic rooms that actually they're so limited because they're locked off. So eventually you will run out of air or food or water or companionship or whatever the mm. thing is that actually the safest thing to be is open rather than closed. Mm, I guess unless someone's coming at you just <laughs> Knives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess the, my theory on that is that there's a level of being open that I'm not prepared to be. Yeah. Like being open with death, I'm not yet prepared to be open with my own death. <laughs> but if I was, then there would be less resistance and then it wouldn't cause me grief. Mm. But I'm not really that advanced. <laughs> <laughs> how do you, so how do you do that in a studio environment when you're making work? I guess it depends on the pro on on the project. Yeah. Like when I am when I'm writing, I do a lot of research. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, I try to fill up I fill up my my brain and my surroundings with all of the different aspects that I can of of what I'm writing. I try to look at different angles. I try to look at different perspectives. Um, and I try to kind of synthesize that down into what I feel like is the important, important aspect to that I want to talk about, that I want to explore, but still have that being informed by, by the rest of the conversation around that topic. That because I feel like it for my own work, I want to have a, I want to, I feel like specificity is universal and that if you, if you attack something uh, with clarity and with precision, then that allows for a more complex discussion around the other stuff because mm. that other stuff can filter in rather than if you're trying to have a broad conversation, you have to, you have to if I have this much energy I have a certain amount of energy and I am spreading it across a broad conversation it's a very thin conversation mm. but if I focus that onto one thing then I'm not denying that there's other things that you know that the rest of the world doesn't exist but I want that conversation to happen in the foyer mm. I want I want to give some I want to give my audience enough ammunition to talk about the to talk about the other stuff yeah. as well like I want it to be a launch pad I want it to be a, a thorough discussion about one thing mm. um, but if I'm a dramaturg I guess I I'm really sensitive to what the people I'm working with what they want to say and so I listen to what they want to achieve I listen to the conversation that they want to have and I offer them uh, the other areas of research 
for them to think about. Like it doesn't necessarily have to show up in the work, but maybe they have maybe there's a gap in their understanding of of what uh, what kind of other um, tangential things might be connected to it. So um, I, I'm trying to think of, of an example. Uh, it's the thing of have you considered that this might mean mm -hmm. this to other people or have you considered that this uh, other um, period of time or history also influenced that um, and then uh, helping them be clear about what their conversation is basically so when you for instance like when you show me these images it makes me think of this is that what you want or when you use this phrasing uh, it seems to me that the subtext is this is that what you want and helping them so being sensitive to their end goal mm. and helping them really be clear about what it is that they want to say because I, kn I know that it's hard to to separate all your research and separate all your thoughts um, and to be precise, and I, I know very well how hard that is. So I just, so uh, I guess I try to be the dramaturg that I want for myself. <laughs> Can you dramaturg yourself? It's difficult because I don't, I can't be my own outside eye because I, I, yeah. I, I, I have my confirmation bias, you know. Like, am I, am I being a Am I being clear? Of course I am. <laughs> to myself, I'm clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you think is the value of synthesizing things to to be shared? I, a couple of podcasts ago, I was speaking with Martin Coots, who also does dramaturgy for mainly for dance and physical theatre, and he was talking about synthesizing something to share, and I wondered. Mm. And I still haven't, I've been thinking about it since then, wh where the value lies about me going to see a beautiful waterfall and then painting it for somebody or me just taking someone out to that waterfall or letting them borrow my car and go to the waterfall. Like synthesising an experience versus facilitating the direct experience of that thing. I guess it's about what you want the outcome to be yeah. like what you want the experience what experience do you want to give mm. like you painting a waterfall m means that you might be able to send that painting to someone living in the desert or you painting that waterfall uh, will show your opinion on what the waterfall is mm. and will show what you what thoughts you have um, like maybe there is a, a mine next to the waterfall and you what you choose to include and what you choose to disinclude mm. uh, says a lot of you can convey your opinion and your ideas about the waterfall if you um, give if you lend someone your car you're still curating an experience for them because you might, whether you give them a map or whether mm. you give them directions and what music you have in your car and what uh, scent is in your car and what uh, condition your car is in, that is all part of a experience. Yeah. Um, and where on the waterfall you tell them to drive to, to the top or to the bottom or in the middle, like that's all curating an experience. You. How, how much uh, detail you put into that experience 
will will shift what that experience mm. is and or if you tell someone to go maybe they won't go maybe they you know like maybe they will uh, go take a wrong turn and end up at a, a different waterfall or at a roadside diner or you know so it's i think for me the value of synthesization synthesization is yeah, not a no, word yeah totally it's in it's now not a word. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, the value of synthesizing is what message and what experience you want to give yeah i think of it as uh, as an embodiment of form like do you is this idea is this message better suited to a novel to a film to dance to a poem and because each of those forms has comes with its own set of uh, expectations from the audience comes with its own set of um, strengths and weaknesses and um, abilities and uh, it's about yeah it's curation of of your message to be the best way to uh, convey what it is you want to say or want to talk about or want people to think about. Yeah, I think that's how I got into making things in the first place was because I had had a good experience and I wanted to sh- have wanted to, somebody else to have that good experience. Um, and that would be like, all right, this track makes me want to dance, so I'm going to put yeah. it on while we're driving out to the waterfall that I really love to go to. Yeah. And then hopefully you will love all these things too. Yeah. But then it becomes quite complex, doesn't it? Yeah. To like, how much can I be attached to what I hope that you experience or what I hope that you see? Well, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> because, the, of course, you know, if I have just had an argument with yeah. my partner before yeah. I get in the car that's yeah. going to be coloured like yeah. my my um, my experience will be different or if I've been waiting for this day for the last three months to get mm. in the car and go to the waterfall with you or if I am secretly afraid of waterfalls you know <laughs> um, you can't control what I bring to it yeah. but you can put the ingredients in to try and yeah. get the cake you want. Yeah. Um, I'm interested about when you're... Uh, I guess uh, I'm interested about hearing how to choose a form. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Because mostly I choose the form that I feel that I need to work in for my own... Sometimes I'm driven by a concept, but often I'm driven by a feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, how I have experienced the thing. So if I'm driven by a concept, then often I know the concept in words. And that means mm-hmm. that I can go into any form from a rational logic jump off. But if I am compelled because I have seen, if I've had the vision... Mm-hmm. You've seen the waterfall? <laughs> yeah, and the vision is a tune or the vision is a move or a sensation or the vision is an image then the the way that the the vision comes to me 
is the form that I will begin to work it in. Yeah. It doesn't, but it seems a bit um, accidental. I think that's fine. <laughs> you're really great <laughs> I think that's fine because there's no rules you know like you can uh, other people may feel like that would be more successful as some other form uh, but yes. they are free to go ahead and make it in that form and hopefully they do yeah you mm. if you are constructing something to be in a form that you're not inherently drawn to mm. how is that benefiting you and how is that benefiting your audience i mm. mean you should you should revel in the form that you choose because that way you're going to really exp- really immerse yourself in it you're going to really uh you're going to do research into what the history of that form is you're going to try and push the boundaries of that form you're going to use that form to the best of its ability because i feel like when i see a play that wants to be a film neither form wins you know (laughs) like use its form to its full capacity and that's excellent and it doesn't really matter I'm more interested in seeing people be be inspired and be excited and be moved and be um, feel compelled to make in that form rather than uh, rather than someone thinking I should make a dance about this and I, I, I feel like sure some messages or some ideas or some images may be better suited to different forms. But for me, the higher up on that, on the hierarchy of, of artistic needs, I guess, <laughs> is the high, well, even in Maslow's is self-actualization, yes, yes, you know, like yeah. that you're- It's right up the top. Yeah, you, that you're, you're, you're living the fullness of that, mm. of that form. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, actually, Maslow's little triangle is exactly what makes me remember how lucky and privileged I am to be so close to the top by default, Mm. by pure luck of where I was born and who I was born to, Mm. and and then their histories and then forevermore, and not through justice and not through merit, Yeah, just through accidental luck, and that pushes me more to, to... listen to when people around me say that you've got to do what you need to do in the world pushes me more to say well I'm one of the few people that are lucky enough to be able to listen to that Mm -hmm. and to do it and to instead of thinking that I need to stash away more and more accrued uh, insurance assets yeah (laughs) have you have you read um that article about the privilege backpack mm. it's such a good one um i wish i could remember the writer of it so i'll link to it the idea of it is that privilege is all the different things that you have in your backpack and mm. you can't use it as a tool unless you know that it exists yeah. so yeah. you can't you have to be aware that you have white privilege or mm. male privilege or straight privilege got or, all of them or educated privilege yep, first, yep. yeah developed um, world privilege beauty privilege damn straight uh, got yeah. that <laughs> you have to be aware of all of those things in order to 
you to to use them as tools. So you can, and what you choose to do with them, uh, you can you can use them to amplify other people's voices. You can use them to uh, change the conversation. You can use them as uh, uh, with with people who also share that privilege. Is what I mean. You can. Um, you, but you also have to be aware that what those tools can also be weapons mm. and that you have to be, you have to, yeah, you have to know what's in your backpack, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I probably really butchered that, <laughs> that article. But Do the, you, yeah. um, I feel very much like a lot of what I, what I do is to try and mm. that the value in reflection and, recon- and and being considerate and listening is to be able to then have a, a discussion that we're not yet having that we should be having um, and it mm. can be like from something that's not so uh, maybe urgent or important like the discussion that was continuing that is still continuing about uh equal marriage rights in australia mm-hmm. for some reason um in my mind i like i was really on board with let's keep having the discussion let's get the equality out until i listened to somebody who was like well let's reconsider marriage and its need at all mm-hmm. and its purpose and and in whose eyes the state or the churches we need to validate each relationship. And so that then changed my position on it because the discussion that was not the loudest but the more considered one Mm. gave me a um, pause beyond righteousness or something, beyond like the good-bad fight, Mm. picking the side of the loudest discussion. It's like, okay, what are the discussions that are not even being had? To Mm. change the conversation, Mm. I wonder... If you have any conversations you're trying to change, oh, constantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I feel like, uh, yeah, I, f- I feel like um, everywhere is room for social improvement. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> in every aspect, there's people being left out and being left behind and yeah. being silenced and. Mm. Yeah, what, yeah, exactly that. How can I use my, how can I use my privilege to listen and to amplify? complex and it's full like I feel like with the with the blokes project that I'm working on I want to be having the discussion about um, who is and who is not listened to and who is forced into social construct and have to live mm. up to it and who is not uh, and change the conversation from the assumption that uh, educated straight white men are without issue Mm-hmm. And that their only issue is that they shit on everybody else. I think that they, 
um, are shitting on themselves and on each other mm. and then that in turn shits on everybody else. And so that's the change in that conversation that I would like to have that we wouldn't have the it's high rates. It's a true rates. triple down. <laughs> 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 when, I, yeah, when I did Army Cadets as a teenager, they'd always say that shit rolls downhill. <laughs> and so if someone's having a real shitty time at the top, that's exactly mm. what happens. And if we agree that that straight white educated men are at the top in terms of authority within our country's structure then and they're having a shitty time because they have to they can't cuddle Mm. for example Mm. (laughs) then everyone has a shitty time Mm -hmm. and so I just feel like it's very rare Mm, I don't know I like I would like to believe in that project at least that most of us are products of our environment Mm. and that every person is exactly who their environment asked them to be at that point in time and that point in time for a lot of the men I was working with is like 50 years ago Mm. when it was a totally different place Australia Mm. was a totally different place so would you say that project is about um, asking people to have more empathy um I would like to dissolve us and them. Mm-hmm. So definitely in that respect. And I would like to humanise all sides of the us and them until it resol- until it is dissolved. And that, like, even Gina Reinhardt goes to the toilet, has sneezing fits, something like that. Mm. Like, at, at every level of, like... Even Hitler probably had some nightmares. Like he grew up with a death mark. Sure, hope he did. Because <laughs> he caused them. But but that like it is it is very rarely an individual that is purely evil. It is a systemic social narrative that people get on board with, even though there are propaganda masters. Mm-hmm. And that that there is within that humanizing there is hope for me. Yeah. And that's what I hope that art can do, is that it can reach past um, rhetoric and rationale and logic and the mind that is constantly defending itself against new ideas and that a song or a play or a dance or... That, that something can reach past all of your self-identity preservation mm. and can give you a new feeling of... Yeah, and I guess it's about how do we... How do we reach the people that we want to yeah. to talk to? Yeah, got any got any wisdom on that? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if <laughs> I feel like there's whole there's whole departments trying to trying to, <laughs> trying to, try to get there. Yeah. What do you do when you're making when you're writing to that end? Well. You have to go and talk to the people, mm. don't you? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's about how do you get out of your own echo chamber? How do you... Yeah, and it's uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable, <laughs> shit. But you have to do it. Because otherwise, who are you... Who are you talking to? Who are yeah. you telling? Mm. Yeah. You, yeah, you need to work with a really good publicist, don't you? It's <laughs> so true. Like, really, you do. You have to, yeah, you have to six... be able to get to people who don't 
who yeah. this is for yeah. and not just for yeah somehow the success of an arts practice in changing the world is everyone has a role a publicist. <laughs> everyone has a role to play don't yeah. we yeah. <laughs> it's so true we can all land our skills <laughs> one day we'll become Star Trek <laughs> Everyone, everyone in unitards. Ev- no, everyone looking towards the betterment of mankind, and if that means unitards, so be it. <laughs> it's a form of betterment, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I find such joy in difference, <laughs> but <laughs> I feel like that's what Star Trek is about as well. Yeah, like they find true. joy in and celebration in their differences. Mm. <laughs> yeah, life lessons here with Finn O'Brien <laughs> Everyone should watch Star Trek. When you um, when you write, how do you know what has to come next, or what when you're finished? Or I don't. Okay. <laughs> I really don't. I feel like I do so much. Um, I do so much of putting things into the teapot mm. of different flavors that I think are important, of different things that I think will like if I, if you know, I need ginger because I'm, I've got a bit of a sore throat. Mm-hmm. I need to put lavender in because I'm finding it hard to sleep. I'm putting in apple because I'm, I need that kind of uh, sweetness. And I'm putting in some pepper and, you know, like you put in all the different things that you, all the ingredients that you need, mm-hmm. and then you pour hot water on it. And for me, that hot water is a deadline or it's, um, it's like, time I have carved out to do my writing yeah. or it's inspiration at two o'clock in the morning and then you let it steep so you do your edits you do your you let the flavors mingle you let the voices kind of say what they need to say mm. and you get out of the way of it you don't keep stirring you don't like you <laughs> For me, a lot of it is getting out of the way of myself, mm. of of my own my own bullshit of of uh, this isn't very good or no one wants to hear this or all of that stuff. You let the ingredients do their work, and then you pour it out and then you taste it. And if it's not ready, you keep letting it steep. You keep editing. You keep keep uh, or you add different flavors or you uh, chug it out and start again or but it's yeah I, th- I think for me it's about um, trusting the research and, and trusting my own urgency mm. I think is mm. the the last thing yeah is remembering the last thing to put in is hot water mm. and going where I feel compelled to go and sometimes that means a, a, a boring story arc that needs to be re-edited or it ne- means a character has to go or it, or it means changing the way I think about how the, the story I wanted to tell has become something different and that's okay. Mm. Or if it isn't okay, <laughs> if I've ended up saying something I didn't mean. But yeah, yeah I think, yeah. <clears throat> the last ingredient is hot water. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pressure. <laughs> and that burns sometimes. Yeah. It hurts. Writing is hurting. <laughs> For me, anyway. 
thing for me anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you're constantly. I don't know, uh, Nick Power is a choreographer in Sydney and he was talking about how. It's a great name. Yeah, yeah, it's true. All of his brothers, great names. Uh, he was talking about that process is not actually a very comfortable experience mm -hmm. because you're day in, day out living with this thing that is not yet yes the thing yeah it's like remembering having that. a kid mm. that's practicing violin yes <laughs> yeah and you're both the kid and the parent because <laughs> it hurts to practice it hurts to listen yeah. <laughs> and you can't get better without listening or practicing so you have to be exposed yeah. to it all the time yeah there's um what are you <laughs> what are you compelled towards at the moment Oh, um, I guess I'm at the phase, I'm in the phase of development where I have a few different projects on the go mm. and I have just, I've finished, I've just finished a first draft. So now I'm in this for, for one project where I am, now my job is to let it steep for a little while and um, in a couple of weeks I'll go in and I'll listen to actors read it and then I'll know what I have to do next mm. um, but for now I know my job is to not let that occupy me um, I'm in the middle of writing another project mm -hmm. so I'm filling my brain up with research and I'm, I'm starting to kind of form tendrils of where it needs to go and, mm. and this is a co-collaboration so it's a co-writing collaboration is what I meant to say uh, so it's about bouncing off my co-writer. It's about um, it, we're negotiating where, where the scope of the work and, and what's important for us to talk about and what is fun mm. to talk about and, um, and what the end product will look like. So th that's a really exciting time where we where, um, we're really kind of egging each other on to, mm. to, to get to where we want to go. Um, I'm just about to direct a work for the first time in many, many years. And wow. um, so I'm working with um, I'm working with this lady to to finish her script and then I'll direct her in it. And that is another position of, as well. Like it's different from just being a dramaturg because I will also have. Um, responsibility in helping her reach her vision um, and I'm not the kind of I don't want to I don't want to be a director when I grow up but the direction that I do with her is is similar to dramaturgy where it's I guess it's performance dramaturgy where I want to uh, I, my key role in this project as I see it is to help her realize her vision in her script and in her performance and um, that's that's exciting because I feel I love I love supporting other artists. I love helping them get the, what they want to say out. I I love helping them polish and 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 really distill what what it is they what it is they do. Um, yeah, I, so I'm I'm at all different phases at the moment. <laughs> yeah, <I don't> like <laughs> um, and and I've just finished a I finished a work where I feel like um, I probably need to do a little more tweaks and polishes, but then that's a done 
project, it's a done draft and then mm. that will then enter the next phase where hopefully a director will will put it on and like that so that's yeah, I'm I'm kind of like <laughs> I'm at all <laughs> I'm everywhere. <laughs> Omnipotent. <laughs> well, not quite, but I yeah, I'm at different projects at different stages and that's quite yeah. exciting. Yeah. Do you, does somebody else choose what each of these things, the effect that each of these things is trying to have, or do you choose the effect that you're trying to have, um, or like the message or the well, topic? Well, for my own, my own work, I, I drive what I, what I want to talk about, and yeah. I drive what, what, uh, what call to action I want yeah. to give the audience. How do you, how do you know what, um, how have you come to the ones that you're working on? Well, this first draft that I've just finished mm. is a, re, is a, um, is a reaction to watching the, the recent US uh, election. Yeah, yeah. And have, and watching that kind of on the back of um, the Australian election and the different ways in which we uh, elect our leaders and the different ways that dif- the different countries do democracy mm. and the different um, uh, this is why I had so much to say yeah. about voting before yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's making sense to me now. Um, and the different ways we perform democracy and the different ways oh. that we uh, that our, we perform politi- politics and policies. Yeah. Um, and something I've been thinking about for Australia is that even though we don't have a presidency, we behave as if we do. Yeah. Where we have um, parties and we should be, we vote for parties, ostensibly we vote for parties and party policies, but a lot of conversations I hear is about, I don't trust this person and I don't want to vote for that person or I don't like that person or I like that person, I want to vote for them. And it's not, as we've seen with Tony Abbott and Malcolm Turnbull, is that it's the same Barbie, different hat, that despite Malcolm Turnbull's different ideas about policy and politics Mm. the weight of the party is on his shoulders and uh he cannot escape the influence of all the other people in the party Mm. and what was a popularity contest is it's it's a dangerous it's a dangerous mix Mm. and i think with the entertainment value of the US um, election where a lot of it was treated as entertainment and as you said you know like post-truth like that whole thing that's come about now is uh, I think is a is a engagement with the politicians and the people behind the politicians of recognizing the entertainment value of mm-hmm. of democracy um, so which got me to thinking about what is how do we elect leaders how do how do we um, what 
I did a lot of research into what uh, what traits we look for in leaders and what mm. how we vote for leaders and um, instead of policy, how do we vote for leaders? Mm. And um, so yeah, it's it's a it's become a, a kind of a game, I guess. It's a game that I am asking the actors and the director. Um, and the costume designer and the set, des- set designer and the stage manager to all, uh, and you know, all the other, the rest of the team <laughs> to come on board and play mm. because it's, um, it, it, I'm basically enacting a different form of democracy in this work. I'm asking the audience to vote mm. for a winner. <laughs> And they, the, the performers will undertake different trials to become the winner. And the outcome of who is the winner has different um, consequences. Great. That's cool. I saw a show at Darwin Festival by Sipat Lawin on song, which is a Filipino-based one. Yes, I knew and them. Was Kids Killing Kids? No, it was... Um, I forget the name of it because it's not an English name and so it didn't stick in my brain. But they did almost the opposite where they disregarded the leaders and they split the audience into um, policy portfolios mm. and each each group had to come up with the policies that they were going to do and then, um, and then they launched this new government and recorded a... A video where they moved from each um, like the news reporter out onto the street and then into each of the policy representatives to talk about the policies that they were going to enact in this That's new government awesome. so the audience have basically imagined and created and engaged and instead of thinking that person's a dickhead they thought what would I do if I was yeah. that person yeah and how could I um, take care of everyone Yes. Not just. Yes, one that's side. fantastic. Yes, yeah. that's the kind of thing I'm getting. Well, I'm going to look that up. It was a Darwin Festival. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Do you remember really when cool. it was? It was this. It was this year just gone. Really? Yeah. I'm gonna. Oh, that sounds like something I want to look yeah. at. Yeah. Mm. Cool. But it's an interesting thing because if I was going to a mechanic, I would do the same. I would like the same tropes that you're talking about like I would look at all the comparisons between different businesses and what services they're offering and then I would pick the person I trust yeah yeah well of course because you <laughs> you want to you have to look out for your own interests and you want some you want something that is going to reflect what's important to you mm. yeah and not even someone that I trust in every situation just someone that I trust in that in, yeah. yeah or like in for my own betterment situation. Mm. Like maybe if they screw over the government by not paying taxes, but they're gonna do me a deal. Yeah. Then that's, is that trust or is that like? I guess it depends what you value. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Like for instance, I could go to a mechanic that I has been roundly recommended and has all mm. the safety ratings and everything, but if I walked in there and I saw their office was papered with Playboy magazines, that would change my opinion on them. And even though that probably has nothing to do with how well they're going to fix my car, I know it's going to have an impact on how they interact with me. So I 
that mm. would that would mm-hmm. change possibly if I go back there. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm torn on that because on um, unlike all the discussions that were happening over the past few years about these celebrities being ousted as being uh, abusive, sexually abusive or molesters or whatever, then I'm totally on board with that we cannot continue to idolise somebody whose public life is brilliant and whose private life is deplorable mm. because then that idolises all of those things and excuses all of those things. Um, in the same breath, I think that the person running that mechanics that does an excellent job and has playboys on the wall probably saw that that's how you run a mechanics and they're probably not an inherently... Uh, shitty or misogynistic person they're somehow running on default well I think that would depend on the mechanic <laughs> oh absolutely so like which I'm just saying that's why I'm torn about this is that how much of what we do that is a bit shit is actually just the default mm. of how we grew up and nobody's told us yet or we're not ready to listen yet that mm. that's no longer okay because at one point it was okay and it was expected I think expected and okay is different. (laughs) And I think um, that that still doesn't change how that makes me feel and it doesn't change how normalised he is of what that means. And so no matter what the circumstances that created that situation, Mm -hmm. that situation is still playing out. And that situation is still impacting how yeah. he interacts with people and yes. interacts and, and will interact with me yeah. and what he kind of, the, the, his general outlook. Yeah. And I don't need to support that. No, no, it's true. I think that about sometimes about how the future will judge us. Yeah, I'm very interested. <laughs> yeah. But us like specifically, like will the future, say we have some kind of crazy population collapse and then we probably will (laughs) we're on the cusp of resource wars yeah well then like will the future judge me in a positive light for being mid-30s and not having children or will an even further future judge me in a negative light for being mid-30s and not having any children like how do we I think have empathy for all of throughout time somehow do you mean you specifically, or do you mean uh, someone like you? Well, I think that there are things that are deplorable to us now, that are happening now, that we should treat differently to things that are deplorable to us now, that happened a long time ago between people who did not find them deplorable. Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah, I, I think that nobody... There's that thing of the people who are clearing the rainforest or who have cleared the rainforest aren't necessarily going, ha ha ha, I'm creating global warming. <laughs> but they are or going, oh no, I'm creating global warming. They're probably thinking, I'm so glad I have a job, I can feed my family. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I think, I don't think history looks at the people clearing the forest, they look at the companies, they look at the social fabric that... uh, um, That necessitates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The social values 
and I think as long as you personally are doing everything you can to live and create the world that you wish to have in the future then that's what you can do as long as you are I think what I think people in the future will look on deploringly are people who do nothing mm. because I feel like doing nothing is accepting and doing nothing is condoning and if you're not um, giving voice, giving action to the way that you want the world to be, then... Then you're condoning. Yeah. Yeah. There's costs, there's costs associated with not condoning, well, with like... With not speaking up? Uh, or with speaking, with up. speaking up? Absolutely, absolutely. And some people pay a lot more than others. Yes, that is absolutely true. And sometimes have a lot less impact than others, even though they mm -hmm. pay more to speak up. Mm-hmm. But I feel, yeah, I think I, I absolutely agree. And for mm. different people, the the amount that they can do that is mm. variable. Mm. Um, absolutely, it, it 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 takes a lot of privilege to be able to um, to take days off work to, <laughs> to protest or give time to yeah, to yeah. to groups. Um, but I feel like the more energy you, where you put your energy is, is so important. Mm. And even if you put one hour of energy a week, mm. that is still over the year or over a lifetime mm. adds up. Mm. And that still contributes. And if everyone gave one hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, there are a lot of people in the world. Do you think that we can change anything? Yes, we're changing. Oh, yes. We're changing now. Yeah. Change doesn't happen instantaneously. Yeah, or even linearly. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think, I, f I feel like no matter what action we take, we are taking a step in the direction of some change and even if the change is the status quo is is in that in is in is enabled and the forces of change are reflected that is still change because there's a force coming towards and there's a force subsiding mm. so you just have to pick what change you want to be part of mm. and there's disappointments and there's failures connected to to trying for change mm. but we'd never know what the future is going to hold mm. we never know what our efforts are going to con contribute to how can we know that how can we know if in the future uh, we're close to a societal collapse mm. how can we know if we how can we how, how could we know what the outcome of that election was going to be unless we all <laughs> contributed to it, you know? Ah, right. So we can know if we're actively contributing to the outcome. No, we can't. We can't. We still can't know. We just have to keep trying. <laughs> That's uh, the thing. We just have to keep trying. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. 
it might work out, it might not work out. Mm, but something will happen. But something will happen, either way. <laughs> <laughs> and one must have hope in the dark. Yeah. Um, I read a really good quote that hope is not knowing that the action you are taking will be fruitful. Mm. Hope is knowing that the action you are taking is right. That is really good. How do you know? You just have to. <laughs> oh, and you personally. How, How do, do I know? know when the I actions can... you're taking. If it feels right, and then if it, and then being uh, uh, being nimble enough to, if I am presented with other evidence that I can reassess my my opinion, that I can, that I'm not on a uh, righteous crusade, that I am being ethical and responsible and responsive and uh, listening people who know more than me and amplifying the voices that need to be heard. Mm. I need to eat some lunch, Matt. I think that's good. <laughs> that's great. Thanks, Finn. Thank you. What a good chat.